Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Last week, uh, we, we continued our series on uh, James. We've been looking at the gospel, uh, the book of James under the heading Practical Christianity. And we looked at uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19 last week, and we, we looked at it under the heading Real Faith Works. And we, we talked about it in, in the context of James dealing with those individuals who said, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe correctly. And we said, we need to understand what the gospel really is. What is the good news? And we, we brought, gave you four truths that I think we need to go over this morning just to refresh your memory. We said that the gospel, uh, that the good news, that salvation is not something you just say. Uh, we looked at that in verse 14, where James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Can such false faith, can a fake faith save such an individual? He said, it's more than just what you say. There has to be some evidence in your life. The next thing we said is that faith, uh, salvation is not just something you feel. Uh, you involve yourselves in people's life. Yesterday, I got the honor and the pleasure to go serve with two of my dear brothers as they, they did something at one of them's house. I won't say what it was because you do not call me if you want something done on your house. But I said, you know, I, I could have just went to them and said, you know, I feel for you. Uh, you know, I hope you uh, don't get heat stroke and went home. But see, that's not what you do. Real faith involves itself in what a person is doing. So I volunteered my time to help, this individ- these, help these individuals put that roof on. So it, it, it was a, a time when uh, I don't know if I was a blessing to them, but they were a blessing to me. So, but the point I'm trying to make, it's not just I feel for you. You get involved in someone's life. You engage in their life to demonstrate your faith. We also said that salvation is not just something you think. Uh, you know, you don't just sit around and talk about salvation. You don't sit in classrooms and debate it and discuss it. You get out and you do something with your faith. You do something with your salvation. And finally, the last one we looked at, which was the most controversial, we said that salvation is not just something you believe. And that one hurts because we know that we're saved by what we believe and not by what we do. We know that. We're Baptists. That's what we stand for. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of works. But we learned that James said, look, even demons, even the devil believes in God. Matter of fact, we went through the Gospels and we said that even the demons, even the demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That sounds like a profession of faith. The problem is they're what they believed did not match up with what they did. So it, we, we found out that, that salvation is not just what you say. It's not just what you feel. It's not just what you think. It's not just what you believe. So the question is, what is it? What is salvation? James would say salvation is demonstrated by what you do, by the way you live your life, by the way you put your actions, by your, the way you put your faith into action. Real faith is something we do. And James is going to give us today in our sermon text two illustrations. Uh, he's going to give us uh, two illustrations that show that faith is demonstrated by something you do. It's active. It's not passive in what we do. Faith makes a commitment. Faith is dedicated to doing something. So open your Bibles in James 
chapter 2, verses 20 through 26, as we read what James has to say. And remember, as we're talking about James, this is really God speaking. This is the Holy Spirit revealing His Word through James. This is what James says. You foolish man or foolish woman, whichever one you like, you foolish individual, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We're going to look at these words and analyze these words under the heading, Real Faith Really Works. James gives us two illustrations of two different people. They are diverse. They are extremely different. The first one, you know, we see their exact opposite. The first one is a man. The second one is a woman. The first one, Abraham is Jewish. Rahab is a Gentile. Abraham is a patriarch. Rahab is a prostitute. Abraham is somebody. Rahab is a nobody. Abraham is a major character in the Bible. Rahab has a minor part in the Bible. And James uses these two individuals to show that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're upbringing. It doesn't matter where you, you come from. The only thing these two people had in common was their faith in God. And their faith in God led them to action. It led them to demonstrate their faith by what they do. Their faith led them to do something. Uh, notice what James says in verse 20. You foolish man, you don't want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. He says that foolish people uh, do not believe that works are needed. They think it's okay to do nothing as long as they believe the right things. He says they are leaning on a faith which is not strong enough to support him and it won't present him as acceptable to God because they have a fake faith. Their faith is not real. Notice what he says. Do you want evidence? Do you want proof of this? He says, I'm going to give you evidence. You know, how can we know our faith is real? He uses the word useless here. He says that you, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. The word useless can be translated as idle, or get this, it could be translated as not working. So James kind of words the sentence this way, do you want proof that faith without works is not working? That's what he's saying for us today. And then he offers us an example from Abraham in verses 20 through 22. And he gives us an example of real faith uh, from Abraham the patriarch. Abraham's faith, his belief came out visibly by what he did, by the way he lived his life, by the things that he did. You know the story of Abraham. Uh, you've been in church most of your life. You probably know the story of Abraham. We know that he was called out of, the, out of uh, 
the land of Ur in Genesis chapter 12, later on in Genesis chapter 15, later in chapter 17, we find all these truths about him. And the Bible says that Abraham believed in God and it was credited, it was put in his ledger as righteousness because he had a belief in God. But James doesn't go to that point of belief. He's not talking about this point where Abraham believed. He's writing to people in James that are already believers. They believe in Jesus Christ. James is saying, you say you believe, show me. Demonstrate it by what you do. And so James singles out an action from Abraham's life that truly demonstrated what he believed. He already believed. 30 years earlier, God had already said he's righteous. But he singles out this one event in his life when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And remember, this was the child of promise. This wasn't, this wasn't Ishmael. This was Isaac. This was the child of promise that God said, through Isaac, I will bless the people. Through his seed, I will honor all people. I will bless all people. And so God told him, said, I want you to take Isaac, the child of promise, and I want you to sacrifice him. I said it before, midnight in the pilgrimage of faith, it's when the command of God is in direct conflict with the promise of God. God said, I promised you I'm going to do this for Isaac. Now I want you to go kill him. That's where faith really hits the road. So what did he do? The Bible says he made everything ready. He loaded up the, the, the wood for the sacrifice. He, he went there with his donkeys. He told his men, he said, you stay here. Me and the boy, we will go to the mountain and we will sacrifice. Matter of fact, on the way, Isaac asked me, he said, Father, we have everything needed for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide one. God will provide one. And he went up there and he prepared the altar, laid the wood on there, placed his son, bound his hands, bound his feet, placed him on the altar, was about to raise the knife to kill his son. When God cried out, paraphrased, wait a minute, Abraham, don't do it. I'm just testing you, Abraham. I'm just testing you to see if your faith is real. And now I know you've passed the test. That's a modern paraphrase, by the way. That can be found in the unpublished Whirly version, okay? Uh, uh, that, that's what he, what he says. And so Abraham, by that act of obedience, demonstrated that what he believed about God was indeed true. You see, a faith untested is not really valid. You've got to test your faith. Abraham's initial point of faith was he believed God, but this incident showed the depth of his faith. And it's so relevant for us today because we need that type of faith. And the question that God would ask you, what James has asked us today, where is the proof of your salvation? Where is the evidence of the faith you say you profess? Look at verse 22. He said, do you not see that his faith and his actions were working together? And the way it's worded in the original language is that it's a continually working. His faith and his, his works were continually doing this constantly. But he proved his faith on a daily basis. It was not just this one act. But it was a habitual lifestyle that he did to show his obedience. And when an individual has this constant expression of faith, the result is their faith is made complete. This is when we really know our faith is genuine. Perfect faith is produced 
through a successive acts of obedience. And it says that he was counted as righteousness toward him. But it also says later on that Abraham became God's friend. Wouldn't you like to be a friend of God? You know, James, uh, J- Jesus tells us how we can do that. Faith and works working together. Faith and works operated in the life of Abraham. And Jesus said this in James, uh, in John 15, verses 12 through 14. This is what he said. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Did you know that? We can be friends of Jesus if we just obey His commands. That's why Abraham was called a friend of God. Because he obeyed. Do you want to be a friend of God? Then verify your faith by your actions, by your obedience. Now I know what you're saying. I said the same thing. I said in my office, what would the congregation say? And say the same thing. said, yeah, but we can't compare to Abraham. I mean, Abraham's a giant of the faith. I mean, he's a patriarch of the faith. None of us can measure up uh, to the life of Abraham. Pastor, that's not fair. Give us somebody more down to our level. Well, he does. James almost anticipates that argument. So he holds up for us as exhibit B, Rahab the prostitute. Uh, this is where, where he goes with that. And so he gives us an example of real faith from Rahab the prostitute. You know the story. Rachel did a good job of uh, refreshing our memory. The story of Rahab can be found in Joshua chapter 2. You know the story that uh, uh, Joshua has taken over from Moses to lead the people in the promised land. In order to get in the promised land, they've got to take the city of Jericho. If you know anything about military strategy, you can't go around a big fortress like that because then you leave your rear guard undefended, yeah, yeah, vulnerable. So he said, we've got to take Jericho first. It's the gateway into the promised land. So he sends two spies to spy out the city of Jericho. And so they go to the city of Jericho, they spy it out, they observe it, and then they, they go to the home of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Don't read more into that than is there. They didn't go there soliciting her. They went there because it was not uncommon for travelers to make their way in such a place to find a place to stay for the night. So they go in there, and the, the city leader, the mayor, the governor, whoever he is, he finds out about these individuals who came in. He said, send them out to us so that we can question them. And these, these guys are spies. I didn't know they were spies. I've already sent them away. She lied. I've already sent them away. And she hid them upstairs. She said, if you hurry, maybe you can catch them. And then after the party had left, she lowered the spies over the wall and told them, he said, hey, remember me. Remember me what it is. But her faith in God was evidenced as we read in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and following. She said this, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen us. The word she uses for Lord is only one of the Hebrews would know. I know that he's given you this. And then for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So because of what she believed about the Lord God, she demonstrated it by what she did. It was only in the light of her faith in God as the Lord 
could she do the works which James commends her for now. She risked her life. She risked her property. She risked her family's life for her faith. And she demonstrated for what we do, what she did. What do we know about her? Well, eventually she became in the line of King David and ultimately in the line of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of her faith. Because of the way she demonstrated her faith. So James uses two individuals to prove his point. He uses Abraham, the father of the nation, that hero of the faith, and then he uses a woman with a bad reputation. And they are seen as equal examples of faith. Uh, that's what he's trying to show us in this passage. You know, now look. I am not here to suggest that any of us here measure up to Abraham. Okay? And I also don't want you to think that any of us measure up to Rahab, the prostitute. Okay? Uh, so so don't, don't run away. But here's what I'm trying to say. Probably between these two individuals, Ahab, Abraham, the patriarch, and Rahab, the prostitute, is us. We can probably be found somewhere along that spectrum. And here's what God is saying. He said, the same faith that saved Rahab, the same faith that saved Abraham is the one that saves you. It's one that's proven by what you do, by the way you live your life. Our faith is not determined by what we do, but it is demonstrated by what we do. Years ago, there was a trapeze artist, uh, not trapeze, a tightrope artist named George Blunden. And he decided for a publicity stunt, he was going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So the crowds joined. And there's thousands of people on the American side and thousands of people on the Canadian side. And they all joined the ooh and ah. So George Blunden got on, got on one side and he began walking across a tightrope. And they realized when he got to the middle that if he slipped, one fatal mistake, and he would fall into the Niagara Falls and, be, and die. But he went all the way across the other side. And the people clapped and they cheered. Woo, woo, this is great, this is great. Then he turned around and he went right back across again to the other side. And the people were going crazy. They were cheering and hollering for him. And he said, now I'm going to do it again. But I'm going to do it with the wheelbarrow full of dirt. And so he put the wheelbarrow in there and he began walking across the tightrope all the way. Not once, not twice, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And he gets, he gets the other side, and everybody was mesmerized. He gets the other side, and one guy says, I believe you could do this all day long. And George Blunden dumped the dirt out. He goes, you do? Get in. <laughs> Faith gets in the wheelbarrow. Faith gets in. That's what James is trying to reveal to us. In a very real sense, he says, you say you believe. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it by the way you live. Talk is cheap. You can say, I believe in Jesus. James says, prove it. Prove it to me that you believe in Jesus. Our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Our behavior shows what we believe. If your salvation is working today, hear me, it will work when you get to heaven. It will work if it's working today. If it's not working today, uh, maybe you have a false hope. 
or a false faith. Look what he says in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is using a very popular analogy, a very popular illustration of the time. Back in biblical times and early on, the way that you come across a body laying down and you see, is that body alive or is that body dead? And what you do is you place a mirror underneath the nostrils. And if you could see a hint of breath coming out of it, it would fog up. If there was no sign of life, the body would have to be gotten rid of. Why? Because a body that's dead it begins to uh, spoil and stink and decay. And it will eventually contaminate everything around it. There's probably another sermon there somewhere. <laughs> he says, why? Because the body's dead. He says in the same way, an individual who says that they have faith but there's no evidence, may really be dead. So what James does, he takes the mirror of God's Word and he holds it up underneath the spiritual nostrils and he says, is there life? Is there life? And if people do not see evidence of our faith, they don't see it, they don't see it breathing, they don't see it moving, they don't see it acting, then guess what? Their faith is not alive. It's, it's not there. It's a dead body. Notice what he says. You've got to get this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He doesn't say you're sick. Or let me use a good Baptist term. He doesn't say you're backslidden. He says you're dead. And if you don't know what dead is, that means there's no life in you. Because there's no evidence whatsoever. So what do we do? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. He says, give yourself a test. Now, we like tests, don't you? Don't you like tests? It kind of proves where you... Oh, you don't like tests. Okay. Well, uh, we like... We, it's something we can do. We can check it off. I've accomplished that. He said, here's a checklist. What do you do? He says, check yourself. Take yourself a test. Check yourself out. Give self-examination to yourself. Here's a couple of questions you can consider. Am I really a Christian after all? Based upon what James says, am I really a Christian? In light of what James says, is there evidence of my faith? Is there proof in my faith? What changes can I point to in my life that indicate I am saved? Is my lifestyle different than when I wasn't a Christian? Has there been a change in my lifestyle? If Listen, if you're the exact same person you were before you came to Christ as you are today, that's a pretty good test that you've never been saved. It's a pretty good way to do it. It's not a matter of what you, you, you believe. If there's no evidence of that. Now the Holy Spirit through James says there should be some evidence of your faith. Now listen, I'm not saying, and hear me on this. I'm not saying you work your way to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. We don't believe that works deliver salvation. What James is saying is that your faith is demonstrated by what you 
do. And if your faith doesn't work, what good is it? What good is it? Whatsoever. So how do I know for sure? You need to settle it in your mind that you indeed are a child of God. Have you ever been had doubts? Have you ever, man, I'm just not for sure. I have doubts about this. You say, but I'm a good person. Can I tell you something? Hell's full of good people. It's full. In fact, I told you last week, I think that probably, probably in hell, many of the people in hell today were not atheists or agnostics. They just had a fake faith. I'll tell you what, there are no atheists and agnostics in hell today. You, know, you say, say I, I, I was a good person. I, I've gone to church my entire life. I've told y'all this a million times. I had a drug problem when I, was, when I was little. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, drugged to church on Sunday night, drugged to church on Wednesday night. And get this, my dad even drugged me to church on Saturday to mow the yard. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Church didn't save me. Only Jesus saved me. There is no salvation in the church. There's only salvation found in Jesus Christ. So church doesn't save you. You might say, I know about Christ. I read the Bible. Pastor, I got John 3.16 down pat. King James and NIV and New American Standard. I got it down pat. You see, you've had religion, and you've even gone to classes, Sunday school, discipleship training, whatever. Uh, you've done it all. You know all the right things to say. But I want to ask you a question. This is the crux of the whole sermon. Are you absolutely sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? That's what it really amounts to. Are you absolutely sure? Because if you're not, let's nail this thing down today. Let's get it right in your heart. Because that's really what it matters the most. I want you to know you can be sure of your salvation. You say, Pastor, how? How can I know? How can I do that? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We started out with this one last week. Let's go back to it again. You probably know this verse. Paul says, and I love this verse, don't you? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace. God's grace. God's grace. It's all about God's grace. And here's, here's the way I like to describe it. When the hand of God's grace reaches down from heaven and your hand of faith reaches up and grasps it, that's salvation. That's salvation. And now because you've grasped the hands of the eternal Father through faith in Jesus Christ, God says, now go and live for me and bring glory to my name. Because you've believed and you have faith. And what has Paul said? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any one of us boast. And you know we would boast, wouldn't we? 
Say, well, look what I did. I pastor a large church. I'm surely much better than all these people who just attend. You see, we would boast. But God says there's no room for boasting because we all come to Jesus the same way. Broken, downtrodden, as the words of Augustus told Plato, said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. But, he said, you're saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man would boast. He said, but then I love this verse. And we always forget this verse. Some reason, as Baptists, we do not include this verse. I don't understand it. He said, for we are God's workmanship. Or that word workmanship could be poem or masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Created who? In Christ Jesus. To what? To do good works. You mean to tell me he saved me so that I can do something? Here's the point. You're not here by accident. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And the plan and the purpose that he's had for your life was prepared for you before you ever came to Jesus. So that means that only you can do it. You are uniquely gifted and uniquely talented and uniquely qualified to do what God preordained for you to do once you came to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know about y'all, but that causes my head to explode. Because I don't believe I'm doing half of what God called me to do. What do you do? We're saved by grace through faith to do exactly what God made us to do in the first place. God has a plan for your life. You're not here by accident. So the question is, are you going to live up to His expectations of you? Are we as a church? You see, I don't believe it's an accident that Western Heights Baptist Church is located at 6301 Bosky Boulevard, that 3,500 people drive by us every day. And I pray, I pray constantly when they drive by Bosky Boulevard, 6301 Bosky Boulevard, not the church next door, not Renew Church, not the, not the First Assembly of God, that when they drive by, that they say, that's the church where Jesus lives. How do I know? Because I see it in the life of the people. And I want to be a part of that. Wouldn't it be great to be known as the fellowship of excitement? I believe God can do exceedingly more than we can think or imagine when we fully get on board with Him. And what that means for us as individuals and what that means for us as a church, that we have to take a step of faith. Okay, okay God, we're going to take a step of faith. We believe this is what you want from me. If we believe this is what you want from me as an individual, for us as a church. So God, we're going to step, take a step of faith and we're going to do God everything that we can and God, we're going to trust you to do what you can. But see what we do, we get it backwards. We want God to do everything and all we do is just have to, just oh, look, look what we did. And we will take the credit, you know that. But God says, listen, God will never do by a miracle what we are to do out of obedience. It's the same way in your life. God can never work a miracle in your life if you're not willing to take a step of obedience. How do you do that? First, you've got to surrender your life to Him and say, I need Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of my life, and I commit my life to Him. That's the first thing you've got to do. 
And then He'll help you. And we as a church will help you be all that you can be in Christ. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. A time for you to respond. I can't tell you how to respond. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you how to respond. The praise team's going to come forward. They're going to sing us a last song. Y'all come on up. Come on up, guys. That was your cue, by the way, when I say pray. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes I wonder, are we waiting for God to give us a cue to do something? You ever wonder that? You know, God is saying, I'm, I'm, you know, Henry Blackaby said it this way, find out where God is working and join him in his work. And sometimes, but you know what that doesn't mean? You've got to find out where God is working first, and then you join him. Uh, but sometimes I, God has says, okay, I've got a cue. Here it is. Oh, I didn't see that, God. I didn't catch it. What is God wanting to do in your life? What is God wanting to do through your life? We're going to have a time of invitation, time for you to respond. You respond many ways. Maybe you say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. Pastor, I need to be a part of a, a fellowship of believers that will help me be all that I can be in Christ Jesus. Pastor, I just need prayer, man. I'm struggling. I'm a believer, but man, I'm struggling. Can you pray with me? Yes, we can. Whatever decision you make, we invite you to come. If there's a line, wouldn't it be great to have a line? If there's a line, just wait. We'll get to you. You ain't got to be anywhere. You know, lunch will wait, okay? Trust me, they don't close down the restaurants, okay? They'll still be there. That roast will hold, all right? If not, go out to eat, okay? Stand to your feet. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to gather here, to praise your name, to worship you, Father, to offer our tithes and offerings, to offer our prayers, to offer our encouragement, Father, to hear your word proclaimed, Father, the only thing left for us to do is respond. And Father, even if we choose to do nothing, it's a response. But Father, we pray that you help us to respond positively in a way, Lord, that impacts your kingdom. Father, in a way that makes a difference in this place where you placed us. Father, we pray that you will glorify yourself in decisions that are made publicly and privately. And we pray to God be the glory for great things that he is doing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.